The legacy media in Alberta were completely wrong about Premier Jason Kenney. They told us that he was finished. They told us that his base hated him. But the recent convention, the recent United Conservative Convention, proved them completely wrong. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to the program. Thank you for your ongoing support of True North and The Candace Malcolm Show. And I would like to say if you're watching this video right now on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to True North. Make sure you hit the notification bell so that you never miss any of our videos. If you're watching on Facebook, make sure to like True North, drop us a comment and leave us an idea for a future show. Don't forget to share this video as well. And finally, if you're listening to this podcast, please, please make sure to subscribe to The Candace Malcolm Show. And if you enjoy it, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. It really helps us in the ratings and in the discoverability of the podcast. Okay, so the legacy media has spent months telling us that Premier Jason Kenney's days were numbered. They told us that he was the most hated politician in the country. They told us that his own party, the United Conservatives, were furious and that his days were numbered. They drummed up stories about caucus revolts. They told us that his polling numbers were dismal. But then something kind of remarkable happened. There was a convention and at the UCP convention, Jason Kenney got a hero's welcome. He got multiple standing ovations, and it was pretty clear to anyone watching that he did have the support of his base, and what we saw was a pretty united party. So why did the media tell us otherwise? What else aren't they telling the truth about? Well, I want to bring in a political insider in Alberta to help us sort of understand the landscape in Alberta and why there is this divide between what the media, what the fancy people are telling us and what seems to be the reality on the ground. So I'm pleased to be joined today by Vitor Marciano. Vitor is a longtime conservative strategist. He was a senior advisor to former Wild Rose leaders, Danielle Smith and Brian Jean. Vitor is also an Alberta national counselor for the Conservative Party of Canada, the Federal Party, and he he is now an energy advocacy consultant based in Edmonton. So Vitor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Candice. It's, uh, it's an interesting topic. Yes. Yeah, so, so tell us about it. I mean, I, I presume you were at the convention. What, what was it like? I actually wasn't this time. Um, okay. And I had intended to be, and then a couple of things got in the way, and I, I didn't attend it. Um, I think the convention showed that the media gets parts of it wrong in the context that they've 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 looked in the wrong places for what they expect to be the drama. Um, to use your words, the fancy people inside the, the United Conservative Party are still very much with Jason Kenney. Uh, so of the, of the remaining members of the ones that are, uh, you know, keen enough, participatory enough that they attend events, uh, as certainly at $350 a pop, uh, Jason Kenney has roughly 65% of those people. Uh, and he did decently well enough. The other thing that Jason Kenney benefited from, benefited from is that grassroots conservatives are actually generally quite polite. They're rude to socialists, but they're quite polite to people in their own party. So when Jason talked about parts of the economy doing well, he did get a standing ovation. When he invited people to salute farmers, he got a standing ovation. When he invited people to salute healthcare workers, he got a standing ovation. Um, he won one of the votes that really mattered to him in that room, not by very much, only by 57%. I'm going to remind everybody that when Ralph Klein got 56% in 2006, he resigned from politics. So there's a mix of things. Uh, he won the party elections, the board elections, who are the people who are going to set the rules for a, a leadership the review that's going to come one way or another in the next four or five months, maybe as little as three months. Uh, he, 
he won that election. He had more people at the convention who were there supporting him than not. But that convention had an awful lot of you know, lobbyists, party insiders, government staffers, a lot of people who make their money from government decisions, and he did okay on it. He didn't do as well, and it was pretty obvious from the discussions I've had with, with people who were there and people who were running, you know, people whose daily incomes aren't attached to the government, you know, they were quite grumpy. And the, 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 the votes went against him in some ways. Jason Kenney's a resilient fighter, and he's going to fight this thing. I mean, I think, you know, for anybody who thought he was just going to quit and that he was going to surrender to the fact that his polling numbers are bad and that his party's not raising any money and that party membership is down dramatically, um, you know, Jason Kenney's going to fight. It's still a hell of a fight because the polling numbers are bad. The fundraising is horrible relative to the, you know, when the NDP is raising more money from big donors and small donors than the UCP in Alberta, that's a problem. But Jason Kenney's going to fight because that's what Jason Kenney does. And, uh, you know, there's a possibility he'll survive a leadership review in the spring. He survived an AGM that really wasn't necessarily geared up to take him up. When, when Jason Kenney admitted about a month and a half ago that he would allow for a leadership review at some point in the spring, the anti-Jason Kenney side of the UCP pretty much stopped organizing for this AGM. Because if you're going to tell people to save $350 to attend an AGM to do something, tell them to save it for the one that matters rather than the one that was relatively minor. Having said that, you know, Team Kenney's feeling pretty buoyant. They, they, they certainly are. And I think that part of the uh, the thing that I took away from it was that the media were there kind of drumming up that Kenny was going to get booed and that he was going to, something, you know, dramatic was going to happen. Um, there was like some anticipated Schadenfreude, like they wanted it. They wanted Kenny to fail miserably. And what we saw was seemingly a pretty united uh, group. And I think a lot of that, like you said, maybe the politeness of the base, but also just that you know, in in the context of a party, there can be infighting. But when you're facing the public, you know, there is sort of a, a instinct to have a united front. And, you know, uh, when it comes to the potential of an NDP government, you know, even even people who don't really like Jason Kenney aren't really happy about it. Um, the, 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 the idea of that um, could lead to sort of, you know, doubling down in support of your your own guy. The, the potential, like, in some ways, the fact that Rachel's doing well in the polls is one of the things that helps Jason <laughs> because people are like, oh my God, we'll have to fight them off and we have to think about that. Uh, the problem becomes, you know, what happens if the base decides that Jason Kenny can't beat Rachel and he isn't getting out of the way? And that's where things can get really complicated. I think you're, you're right on. The, the sort of person who pays $350 to go to a party convention by and large, doesn't want to create a stink that the media will use to damage the party. Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's let's go on then. So, so some people might say that Jason's uh, brand is too damaged and that he can't uh, successfully take on uh, Rachel Notley. And so, you, you do sort of have these other players in the wing. We saw that Brian Jean is running to be an MLA up in Fort McMurray. He was, of course, a former leader of the Wild Rose Party. And we had Danielle Smith, the sort of founding leader of the party. Uh, hinting on on a podcast that she might be interested in running as well. So, so what, what what do you think of this sort of idea that there are some wild rose contenders in the wings of the party? Oh, I think not only are there wild rose contenders, I think there's possibly one or two contenders from cabinet. Uh, uh, Casey Madu, who has been out campaigning against Brian Sheen, has been whispering to people that, well, you know, I'll be the next leader. So it's it serves my purposes to campaign against Brian Jean. 
um, you know, that Casey is the Alberta's Minister of Justice. Um, the, there's talk about Alberta's finance minister considering a run. Um, Doug Schweitzer, the economic development minister, is considering a run. People are starting to build their teams and put pieces together. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, put it on the line in that uh, I've worked for Danielle. I've worked for Brian. I still talk to Brian very regularly. Uh, I've done some volunteer work for him on things related to his current nomination up in Fort McMurray. Um, people are, are positioning and they're getting ready because they look at those polling numbers and they look at um, the fundamentals and they see a government that's in trouble and you would governments in trouble usually start changing what they're doing to try to get a better result and we haven't seen that from Jason Kenney uh, Jason's at risk of, of falling into Einstein's definition of, of insanity which is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result there's been very little innovation or change in approach on the part of the Kenny government. I, they're very much banking on um, the economy bouncing back and that's solving all problems. And I think their problems run a little deeper than COVID and the economy. I think their problems kind of have a little bit to do with style and approach and, and presentation to Albertans with the uh, Albertans feeling like they maybe didn't get the government they were expecting. And so Normally, you'd want to change a few things. You'd want to show signs that you're getting stuff. So far, that's been hard to see. Interesting. So what do you think, Vitor, then, about this idea that, you know, we had this great merger, right? Jason Kenney came, to fed, uh, came from federal politics to uh, provincial politics in Alberta. He had this really ambitious goal of uniting these two fractious parties. And, 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 and he sort of did the impossible, which was that he not only managed to win the progressive conservative nomination, nomination in a party that was really kind of closed and not interested in, in what, he, what he was doing, um, then having these two parties vote to merge, and then running for the leader of that merged party. I mean, he, he, it was a tremendous accomplishment at the time. It seemed like Kenny was unstoppable. But, uh, you know, now with his, his, his sort of poor governance record and some major um, issues that he's had, do you think these two parties are, are bound to stick together even after, say, if, if hypothetically Jason and Kenny didn't survive? Or, or even with him, do you, do you see those, those fault lines um, coming, coming apart? If Jason leaves, if Jason is removed by the membership and leadership review, I think the party holds together uh, because I think the members want it to hold together. I think there's actually a strong demand for unity and a strong willingness on the part of, of lots of the volunteers and lots of the grassroots to find ways to hold the party together. Um, but there's a risk that if Jason holds on and holds on the way he's been holding on so far, which is lots of effort with the lobbyists, outsider money, uh, you know, people who make their living from government propping him up. Um, a lot of this sort of anti-grassroots stuff that's bubbling up through, through the, uh, the, the channels. Then, then you're gonna see an awful lot of sort of the wild rosers, the, 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 that reform side of wild rose that we need to do politics differently. The old, part of the PCs that didn't like all of the insiders and the lobbying and what, you know, Rick Bell calls Tory land also will get upset. And, and then the party could fracture. There's a possibility that it's, there's an awful lot of people. And I, you know, I consider myself in this category that wanted this party to be 
the non-crazy side of wild rose and the non-crooked side of the PCs. And right now, Jason Kenney is being propped up by the crooked side of the PCs and the crazy side of wild rose. And the funny part is the crazy side of wild rose was always this tiny minority in wild rose that all got all the media attention. Uh, you know, the coup d'etat people and, 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 and sort of weird, but they're all in for Jason. The lobbyists are all in for Jason. And Jason's losing his connection with sort of, you know, the guy who gives $40 and the guy who puts up the lawn signs and the guy who volunteers to be a riding association treasurer, you know, all of which are jobs that have like, there's no glory attached to it. You do it because you do it uh, out of a commitment to the cause. Those are the people that are mad at Jason. And, you know, they won't spend $350 on a convention until it really matters, but then they might show up and spend $350 on a convention. He, he needs to get ahead of that. Okay. Well, I want to I want to switch gears just a little, Vitor, because one of the things that I noticed about the UCP convention was um, the absence of someone rather important to conservative politics in the country, and that is Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party. Typically, a uh, provincial conservative convention is great st uh, stomping grounds for a leader, especially a leader like Aaron O'Toole, who sort of struggled to connect with the base and he's dealing with uh, something like a, a little mini uh, revolt in his own caucus about whether or not he has legitimacy after losing that election. So were, were you surprised at all that Aaron O'Toole didn't bother to show up or do you, do you know anything about why he wasn't there? I don't know anything in particular, but I can only speculate that he looked at the news stories and said, oh, I don't want to be in the room if a bun fight's going to start. And he should have probably been aware that it's rare to have bun fights in Alberta. You know, even, even when the party dumped Ralph, that 56% vote day, it was a complete surprise to people. There, there was no sense that Ralph was going to get 56 until the room quietly gave him 56. Um, I think Aaron was missing that. I think Aaron's been missing an awful lot of opportunities to, uh, to connect with people, and he needs to fix that pretty quickly. Um, I think he's getting a little bit of a break from his caucus. The, the, the organized revolt against him is pretty minor and relatively gentle, but I also think that there's an awful lot of members of, of his caucus and an awful lot of members of the party that are looking to see a change in approach from him. And so far they haven't seen it, and that, that's a risk for him going forward he's if if he doesn't sort of change how he does things change how his inner circle works change how he reaches out there's a risk he's going to end up in sort of jason kenny territory with lots of caucus revolts and with lots of grassroots revolts happening at the same time what, what did you think of a, a statement that he made on election night where he said that conservatives have to have the courage to change i know that uh, Alberta MP Shannon Stubbs was particularly irritated because she talked about to the media how she didn't know what that meant and she, she didn't like it. Uh, what, what do you think of this idea that, that Aaron O'Toole is sort of taking the party in a more sort of progressive um, Toronto-friendly direction and, 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 you know, he's happy to sacrifice the more libertarian and um, sort of Western Canadian elements that, 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 that make up the base of the party? Well, listen, he, he undertook that strategy. It was a dangerous strategy it did not seem to work because pretty much there were very few writings where we picked up votes in an awful lot of places we lost votes. And if we'd held on to the same number of votes we had with Andrew Shear in every writing, we would have won more seats. So the, the strategy that the, the addition by subtraction thing, that wasn't working. Um, if you're going to invite conservatives to embrace change, you've got to frame that change in a positive, interesting way that has a long run 
positivity, optimism to it. Uh, Aaron O'Toole has failed to do that. Um, you know, his, po his political poetry isn't very good. Um, his adjustments to policy matters that might have been things, you know, that would have been reminiscent, say, of some of the clever things that Trump did, some of the very clever things that Boris Johnson did. When Aaron O'Toole did them, they came across as lacking sincerity. They, they looked like a caricature of what Boris did. Um, you've got to go out and do these things and then talk about them in a way that's convincing. And I could see how some of the elements of the strategy that he's trying to do have the potential to work, but it's not, you have to commit to them. You have to do them in a careful way. You have to speak to them in a way that connects with voters. It's not happening so far. Well, can you give an example of that? Like some of the things that he tried that, that didn't come off very authentic? Well, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump did a very good job of appealing to blue collar unionized private sector workers. They talked to the workers. Somehow Aaron O'Toole went in that direction, but it looked like, sounded like, and the way the policy was written, he was talking to the union bosses. That's, that's the, the, the missing of it. It's like, talk to the workers. Um, I could go, I have, a, I have a lengthy lecture that I could give on this. It's about connecting to people and their sense of community and the place where they live and work. And Trump figured it out. Boris figured it out when he breached the, you know, the, the red wall in the north. Uh, Aaron O'Toole did a caricature of it rather than thinking about what are the things you need to say and how do you need to say it to win over key voters in, in different parts of the country. I, I completely agree. It was like he, it, it, he, he didn't so much do it as he just talked about how he was doing it. He told the media that his strategy was to go after blue collar working class voters. So the media wrote about it in like an, in like an intellectual academic way. But then when it came to the actual policies that would appeal to them, it was like O'Toole was afraid of that because he didn't want the negative press that, that would come from the elites in Toronto and how they would interpret him doing that kind of thing. So I, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. I agree. And Candace, it's not just the policies. It's the way you talk to people and it's the language that you use and it's the intentional divisions that you create. And you actually have to go out and create divisions. You have, you have to talk about the fact that, you know, a unionized worker in Sudbury is not the same thing as a public sector worker in downtown Toronto. They're both unionized, but it's a very different thing. And you can appeal to them and you can you know, you can speak against anything. I, th I think if, if you're going to practice the politics of addition by subtraction, then I think the subtraction needs to be that you give up on Toronto proper, Vancouver proper, Montreal proper. You give up on Edmonton Center and Calgary Center. And you start talking in ways that say, yeah, we'll never win there. But we can win every seat that's in the North. And we can win every seat that's rural. And we can win every seat that's resource-based. And there's an awful lot of those seats that are available to be picked up. And then as you pick up those seats, the nature of the fight in the suburbs, which is where the majorities are won and lost, they change. So there's, there's, there's space for that. Super, super interesting stuff, Vitor. We'll have to pick up on this uh, conversation another day. I really appreciate your time. Vitor Marciano, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Kenneth Malcolm, and this is The Kenneth Malcolm Show.